Hi, I'm Mary Worden, and this is Premier Health Now On Air, COVID-19 edition, a Premier Health podcast. This is the week of March 15th, 2021. Hi guys! So let's talk about March in Dayton, Ohio. It is a liar, okay? Every year there is at least one magical day in March and it warms up and I know it in my heart that spring has arrived and winter is over. But that's never the case. It tricked me again this year. It even snowed after I thought we were moving on to spring. Why do I bring this up? That's a question I'm sure you ask yourself a lot if you listen to this podcast regularly. Well, on that magical faux spring day, it was so lovely and warm out that I wore shorts around my house for the full day. And at some point I sat down and I noticed this little round scar on the top of my knee. I ran my finger over it and I remembered the day it happened. I was just a little kid and my family and I were in Virginia Beach for summer vacation. And when I was a kid, and and still now, I loved to collect treasures. And of course, at the beach, that usually means seashells. My mom gave me some very specific instructions when I got back from the beach about how I could use a hot glue gun to do some crafts with my seashells. Long story short, I did not follow those instructions very well, and I burned a little dime-sized scar into my knee. Did I freak out? Yes. Did I cry? Sure did. Have I ever used a hot glue gun improperly again? Absolutely not. And that got me thinking about other times in life when something goes not as planned. You can take something away from it. A lesson, a memory, sometimes even something better than you expected. And I think we can all agree that the last year was one of those not as planned times. Here are a few of the lessons that I've learned in 2020. You should always have some backup toilet paper. Cooking isn't that hard. How to dress in business attire from the waist up for video meetings. And speaking of video meetings, that is also a perfectly acceptable venue for a pandemic birthday party or happy hour with your friends. I was not alone in downloading TikTok as a joke, but then slowly becoming obsessed with it. Also, trying to learn a TikTok dance counts as cardio. I learned that I can save a lot of money by staying home more, and I kind of learned that I actually like being home more. I learned that I love organizing stuff. My post-quarantine pantry is a neat freak's dream. Taking a break from social media and mainstream media has its benefits. Binging TV is awesome. I think I completed Netflix. All of it. Okay, maybe not all of it, but I absolutely completed an entire season of a show in one day, more than once. Daily walks are good for the soul and the body. I love my dogs. I don't know what I would do without them. Sometimes it's okay to cry it out for no specific reason at all. Quarantining alone is hard and it's not fun, but I'm stronger and I'm better for it. And it's a good thing to lean on your friends and family when you need them. And I'm extremely grateful that I have those people I can lean on every now and then. So all these lessons got me wondering what frontline workers may have learned over the last year. Joining us again today is emergency physician and medical director of Premier Health EMS Center of Excellence, Dr. Randy Marriott. 
Hi, Dr. Marriott. It's been a year now since the start of this pandemic. I want to talk a little bit about you over the last year. With this year being one that no one could have planned, I'm curious, what's the most important thing that you've learned personally and or professionally over the last year? Wow, that's uh, I haven't really given a lot of thought. And maybe that's part of the problem. I haven't given it a lot of thought. <laughs> you uh, you get very focused and and maybe thinking about provider wellness and responder wellness is is what this is saying. Uh, but if I haven't pondered these two questions, maybe that's a problem. It has certainly changed the way I approach a shift as an emergency physician. Uh, now it's the thought um, up until very recently, now that the numbers are going down and I've been fully vaccinated, uh, this is better. But up until that time, you ask yourself, is this the shift where I get infected? And if so, uh, what will it mean to me? Uh, you know, I'm 56 years old. Uh, I do have uh, some underlying health issues. So uh, it wasn't a benign situation for me, potentially, like it would be for some of my partners that are half my age. But yes, um, at a, at some point, particularly around November and December, it, it certainly was becoming more and more of a concern. Uh, is is this the day uh, that this uh, this virus seeks me out? Uh, and uh, I'm not emotionally numb to all this, um, not to mention just seeing the number of people that have been impacted and infected and 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 having uh you know having uh, uh people that you know uh who have passed away and i have um as, as a direct result of uh, of this pandemic so the, the, those those uh those type of things impact us you know we're not uh, we're, we're not uh, immune to that and um you know knowing that the that the job is is so much different and almost you get to a point where I, I I can't hardly remember what it was like not to have to put this N95 on all the time or not to uh, have to uh, uh, put on uh, all this other protective equipment just to simply have a patient encounter that was uh, really something we took for granted uh, before all, all all this, you know. And so, yeah, it's it. Um, I'm beginning to 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 believe now uh, that I will get back uh, to the life that we had before. Well, I love to hear that. Is there a day that sticks out to you that was the worst day, or maybe you had a day that was the best day? Were there any significant memories from over the last year in either of those categories? Yeah, I I think that some of the worst days were last spring because we just didn't know. Um, where this was going to go, how bad it was going to become, uh, and it turns out it it was not nearly as bad as what it, it would end up being in November and December. Um, and November, December actually went smoother um, in early January as well. And the reason for that is is because we had the opportunity in the spring to to find our processes. Uh, to perfect them, refine them to the point that when we had the little breather during the summer and then we geared back up in the fall, uh, we pretty much knew what we had to, to do at that point. Dr. Marriott, can you give an update on the flu? Because I truly haven't heard anything about it this year. Uh, what flu? <laughs> that's that's, that's the, the short answer. Uh, 
we've seen practically no flu. I have not seen a single flu case personally uh, this entire season. Uh, and this was expected based on the experience in the Southern Hemisphere uh, last summer. Uh, we we uh, make a lot of prediction about our flu season based on what occurs in the Southern Hemisphere. When our uh, Australian uh, friends and the New Zealanders say they've had a good year, then we can typically expect a good, a good year. And they've had practically no flu as well. And uh, I think to a large degree that can be attributed to mask and social distancing and the precautions we're taking uh, for COVID. Uh, also are good for other droplet diseases such as flu. Well, that's at least some good news. And I guess that's why I haven't heard much about the flu this year. Absolutely. Well, and there was the, the so-called uh, so-called twindemic uh, that uh, was predicted that, that never occurred. And uh, the, there was a considerable amount of concern that if we had a bad flu year combined uh, with, with COVID that... Uh, the, the the situation would become much worse, and uh, that did not materialize. And you know, there, there's been a lot of comparisons with flu and, and COVID, by the way, which I think are, are not valid. Um, I've never seen a flu year where we had uh, you know 250 people hospitalized in our system at one time because of flu, <laughs> or that we've had the number of deaths occurring because of of, of flu. And that's in and, and these comparisons, I, I believe, are false narratives for other reasons. Uh, and part of that is how we how we calculate flu deaths. Uh, flu deaths are um, uh, the, the numbers that, that that the CDC publishes are somewhat contrived. They they assume that there is a certain number of undiagnosed flu cases that come into our hospitals uh, and then ultimately ex ultimately uh, those people pass away. And and a lot of experts simply don't agree with uh, with some of the assumptions that are made uh, by the CDC when when compiling those numbers. So uh, we we screen pretty vigorously for flu, uh, particularly for sick inpatients uh, now nowadays. So the idea that people are entering our hospitals and dying of flu and we're unaware, uh, I I don't think is valid. So. Uh, some of the estimates of, of flu deaths, I think, are terribly inflated. And so then when you had the pandemic uh, of COVID, uh, people were making uh, making false comparisons uh, or faulty comparisons, I should say, uh, of uh, flu deaths versus COVID deaths and trying to downplay the severity of COVID based on uh, the uh, estimates of flu deaths uh, that have been published. And I, and I I really do believe it is a, a quite faulty comparison and a false narrative to say that COVID was no worse than flu. And it, it led to a lot of downplaying of, of what, we, what, we, what we were experiencing. And those of us uh, that were seeing what was occurring every day knew that it was, it was, it was completely faulty. But uh, again, uh, the narrative was out there in social media and, and in, the, in the mainstream media, and, and there's no way to no way to com combat it early on. People were, were convinced this was no worse than a, than, a, than a bad flu. The last time we spoke, numbers were starting to drop, and then recently we've seen a bit of a plateau. Can you give us an update on the state of local COVID-19 cases and numbers? As of yesterday, 
today's inpatients positive for COVID-19 premier health total was 23, uh, which is down by a factor of 10 or more <laughs> from our peak uh, six to eight weeks ago. Uh, 17 of those were at Miami Valley main campus on our high-risk respiratory unit. At our peak, the high-risk respiratory unit occupied about five floors of the Southeast Edition, the Heart and Vascular Tower. Um, that's, I believe, I could be wrong, I believe there's 11 uh, functional floors of that tower. And of course, the first floor doesn't have patient beds, so maybe 10 floors of patient beds. Half of them were occupied by COVID positive patients for many weeks. So that, that puts it in perspective somewhat. When you, when you look at the Miami Valley campus from any direction, uh, the first thing that catches your eye is the heart and vascular tower. Imagine that half of that is filled with COVID patients. Um, that's the situation we had just six to eight weeks ago. Just in uh, just in early February, our total uh, inpatients it was well up into the up into the the hundreds, approaching 200 or more. Uh, and certainly in January, we were up well over 200 and approaching 250. The only thing you can throw a monkey wrench into this right now, and what what keeps of us uh, what keeps some of us on our toes and worried about what may happen down line is the potential for variants. They have identified the UK variant in the Springfield area. I just heard some confirmation of that yesterday. Um, we think it's a little bit more uh, transmissible. We're not certain how much more uh, virulent it is in terms of you know, causing more serious disease. And we do believe that the, the vaccines at least give uh, pretty good partial protection against some of these variants. But uh, viruses mutate they, and, and, and mutate often. Sometimes um, they become weaker, but uh, they also can become stronger. So uh, having a, a variant of COVID uh, show up that uh, uh, might cause more disease, that's, that's one of our primary concerns right now. COVID fatigue is increasing for many people as we get worn down dealing with the pandemic. What are your tips for coping with daily stress, anxiety, and a range of other emotions? I, I, th I think there are opportunities to, uh, uh, particularly with the spring, uh, to get out and about and to be in safe uh, situations. As we have said all along, if you're outdoors, uh, your your chances of uh, spreading or uh, being infected uh, with COVID go down significantly. So um, as uh, the spring weather uh, improves and uh, things start to bloom, uh, find things outdoors to do. Uh, you should be doing that anyway. I think that's a that's a great way to uh, to cope with uh, with what we've what we've gone through. Uh, the uh, the the metro parks have been open all along. Um, they'll they they have certain restrictions, obviously. They ask for masks to be worn, I, I believe, still. But, uh, you know, look to outdoor act activities that I think are, are very safe. And uh, the CDC just came out yesterday with some new recommendations for those who have been fully vaccinated. 
and uh, those include uh, the fact that you can have uh, indoor activities with those who have been uh, vaccinated, uh, preferably within your immediate family or within a, a close circle, and uh, that mask wearing may not even be necessary in those circumstances. So um, there are enough people now who have been vaccinated uh, that uh, having uh, activities with uh, with those, assuming you've been vaccinated yourself, makes sense. Uh, so I would say, you know, push the envelope as far as uh, is reasonable, um, and as uh, to the extent that uh, authorities like the CDC uh, say are safe, and uh, take full full advantage of it. Yeah, if you've been vaccinated, and uh, you have a circle of family and friends that have also been vaccinated, uh, follow the CDC guidelines and expand your activities accordingly. Uh, it's now safe to do so. My experience has been that they've been fairly conservative. Uh, so if if they're telling you that uh, certain interactions uh, with those who uh, have received the vaccine are now safe, I, I think that's uh, that's reliable, and I would take full advantage of it. Dr. Marriott, as we head towards spring, will warmer weather help slow the spread of the virus? No, I, I don't know that that that's ever been shown. Uh, I think some of the reasons for the disease uh, kind of dying out at the end of the spring last year was mainly uh, due to our public health initiatives, the mask wearing, the social distancing, the, the, the essential societal shutdown that, that, that we experienced. So, uh, and also uh, people getting out and about and not being in uh, as close proximity just by virtue of the warmer weather. So I don't know that the warmer weather itself was a a huge factor, uh, because when we started ramping up again, it was still pretty warm. When the numbers started increasing in the fall, it was still September, October when we started to see spikes again. And uh, you know, again, we were still you know pretty warm at that point. Uh, so it, it it makes you believe that it had more to do with our behavior than with the weather, because that's about the time. Uh, that uh, some of the uh, college campuses started uh, bringing students back, and we had some sizable outbreaks on some of these college uh, college uh, campuses. And um, to the you know to the uh, extent that some of them had to modify their class schedules and go back to virtual uh, for for some students, uh, and uh, I think that has more to do uh, with why we had the ramp up in the in the fall. Uh, than the weather. So uh, the the weather in the spring, I think, coincided with our our more stringent uh, public health measures, and and less uh, to do with warmth, uh, as demonstrated by the fact that the uh, the increase in cases began uh, in September and October, when we were still having very warm weather. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, Dr. Marriott is going to give us some updates on the vaccine, and he's going to explain what's in them that makes them work. Stay with us. We know getting care comes with a little uncertainty right now, but behind these masks, you'll find unwavering dedication, compassion, and protection for you and the care we provide to you. You won't find us backing down. We won't stop. As long as you need us, we'll be here standing strong because it's who we are and care is behind everything we do. Our care lives here. Premier Health. And we're back. 
Dr. Marriott, researchers are testing an experimental medication that could become a key COVID-19 treatment. And I'm going to let you say the name of this because one of my biggest weaknesses in life is pronouncing medications and medical terms. Does this sound like a promising treatment? I would I would say, and again, uh, not having seen it before, I would say uh, molnupiravir, just, just based on uh, the uh, nomenclature, is clearly an antiviral. Um, that's the, the the VIR typically at the end of uh, uh, a medication is uh, it indicates an antiviral like uh, remdesivir that you've heard a lot about in the uh, in, in the news. Um, again, uh, I don't know about uh, this drug specifically, uh, but I would say that uh, that any uh, antiviral uh, drug will have to be you know vigorously tested and go through uh, you know the a uh, period of of trials uh, that uh, are mandated by the uh, FDA. Now, what's been different uh, during this uh, situation is that uh, they have uh, given emergency use authorizations uh, to uh, several drugs, mostly monoclonal antibodies such as Bamlan and Regeneron. Uh, which we've been using now for several months for uh, people who are moderately ill with COVID. Uh, we've been giving them infusions uh, in, at infusion centers th uh, throughout Premier Health and uh, rarely in the emergency department given the circumstances. But uh, uh, the monoclonal antibodies that we've been giving, I believe, have been helping people uh, stay out of the hospital, stay out of the ICU, and prevent uh, serious complications. Um, so. With an antiviral, however, I, you know I, I think it's probably going to have to go undergo a little bit more uh, rigorous uh, testing. But if it shows promise uh, and is uh, is is felt to be needed urgently, they they can issue this emergency use authorization. Otherwise, it's going to be very important to have good science behind any new drug. Uh, there's been way uh, way uh, too much trial and error, so to speak, uh, on the on the fly. Uh, through this pandemic, and people have been trying various medications uh, based on little evidence, uh, and uh, there is always uh, the possibility of uh, causing uh, more harm than good when one does that without good uh, without good uh, data to show that there's there's benefit and that that benefit outweighs outweighs risk. Um, so I would imagine, based on the fact that this is this is being uh, de developed uh, during this time that that um, that it's going to have some rigorous some rigorous uh, uh, data and monitoring, and uh, hopefully it shows some some hope. Though I do not have any firsthand information about it. Now, the, the, the the monoclonal antibodies, though, have been uh, I think have been uh, certain ones have been very effective. Those that have been in what we call cocktails, uh, the Regeneron cocktail, which I believe is what. Uh, they gave President Trump, um, and uh, then there was uh, uh, Bamlan, which was a single monoclonal antibody, uh, really not uh, being shown to be as effective as we had hoped. Uh, but then Lilly, who uh, developed Bamlan, uh, has now a Bamlan cocktail, which is showing much more, uh, much more uh, improvement uh, in in patients when when they receive it within. 10 days of onset of symptoms. Dr. Marriott, can you give us an update on vaccines and what's next for us in the Miami Valley? 
Well, uh, I, I think uh, there'll probably be a vaccine for every Ohioan to potentially every uh, American in just a few months. Uh, with uh, specifically the Johnson & Johnson vaccine coming online where they had millions of doses prepared uh, prior to approval. So um, you can make comparisons between the effectiveness of uh, each of the vaccines uh, that have uh, received emergency use authorization. And those are, those three are the, the Moderna, the Pfizer, and the, now the, the Johnson & Johnson. And uh, the raw numbers might suggest that the Johnson & Johnson is less effective. However, um, there were different populations that were part of the testing for Johnson & Johnson versus Moderna and Pfizer. And so it, it, it may be that these direct comparisons are not uh, terribly accurate and that uh, Johnson & Johnson may provide uh, more protection than, than what the initial numbers suggest. This is being talked about uh, uh, frequently now in the, uh, at least in the medical community. My uh, recommendation would be to take the vaccine that you're offered. Uh, if you hold out for one specific brand, uh, that may cause a pretty long delay in your receiving a vaccine. I think it's important to have some protection and have it as early as possible. And even if you don't feel the Johnson & Johnson uh, uh, efficacy numbers uh, are as strong as Moderna and Pfizer, the bottom line, however, is it still prevents hospitalization to a large degree, and it prevents serious complications, uh, ICU admissions. Uh, those are really the end goals, uh, whether you have a uh, a blunted case of COVID uh, or more likely to, to be infected and have a less serious case with one of these vaccines versus the other. Um, I think that's secondary to uh, the big ticket goals, and that is staying out of the hospital, staying out of the ICU, and, and not having a serious complication, including death. So I, I, I think with those goals in mind, you take the vaccine uh, that you're offered as quickly as you're offered it. And uh, if Johnson & Johnson is what you have access to, I say take it and uh, not hold out for one of the others that might uh, mean uh, several months delay in your being vaccinated. And while we're on the topic of vaccines, while Moderna and Pfizer are very similar, almost identical, what makes Johnson & Johnson's vaccine unique besides the fact that it is one dose instead of two? Well, uh, Moderna and Pfizer both are uh, synthetic messenger RNA. They've taken a strand of the RNA out of the COVID uh, virus. Uh, then that messenger RNA goes into our own cells and it codes for the spike protein that is on the outer coat of the uh, COVID virus. And so then that spike protein shows up on some of our cells. And what that does is it presents an antigen to our immune system. It presents that spike protein to our own immune system so that we recognize that as foreign and create antibody against that spike protein. And then, but that is a that's a temporary modification to our cells. That goes away. It doesn't cause uh, any long-term effect to our cell lines. 
but it causes that antibody to be produced against that spike protein, which is contained on the outer portion of the COVID virus. So then if we uh, are exposed to the virus, our immune system sees that same spike protein and already has antibody uh, produced that will attack it. So that's how the, the messenger RNA uh, vaccines work. Johnson & Johnson uses an adenovirus model. Uh, what they have done is, is had a more benign virus, not COVID, but a more benign type of virus produce that same spike protein. And again, it's not a live virus then that they, that they uh, inject, but they inject a remnant of the adenovirus that has that same spike protein so that Again, our immune systems recognize that and produce antibody against it. So then when we have the actual COVID virus uh, exposure, we have antibody to address it. As always, what is one key takeaway you'd like to leave listeners with? That uh, we've had a, a very hard year. Uh, it's getting progressively better. Uh, I believe that uh, the latter half of uh, 2021 is going to be <laughs> much different. Uh, than the latter half of uh, 2020. I'm very optimistic. Uh, I think we're going to move forward. I think we've learned a number of uh, important lessons. I don't think that we will ever go back entirely to the way uh, things were before. And I think in many ways, uh, that's very good. Uh, I think some of the uh, uh, protective equipment and infection control practices that we've adopted in the hospital are there to stay. And I think that going forward is going to save many, many lives. Uh, because I think uh, when this is said and done, I suspect that we'll, we will see that all hospital infections uh, have gone down. Uh, I, I, I think it'd be very unlikely that that has not happened given uh, the uh, dramatic increase in attention uh, to infection control that we have seen over the last year. And uh, so I, I, I guess I'm saying um, there are bright spots to every crisis. There are things that are learned by every, uh, every adverse human experience because we adapt and we overcome and we go forward uh, stronger uh, for the experience. And uh, I think that's going to be, going to be true uh, here as well. Thank you so much, Dr. Marriott. All righty, I appreciate it. There is no argument against the fact that 2020 was one of those times that went not as planned. But always remember that sometimes, even when things are tough, there is a lesson in there if you look hard enough. What did you take away from the last year? You can get more information 24-7 at premierhealth.com COVID-19. And we want you to get the information you need about COVID-19 vaccines from people you can trust. Visit our COVID-19 vaccine hub for up-to-date interviews with our physician leaders, fact sheets, news, and more about COVID-19 vaccines at premierhealth.com vaccine. This has been Premier Health Now On Air, COVID-19 edition, a Premier Health podcast. Our care lives here.